We are continuing in our series in Ecclesiastes, and um, we're also this morning having our annual celebration after the service, which is why the service itself is a little shorter. You'll notice that we're getting to our sermon a lot shorter. Not saying the sermon itself will be shorter, but we'll see what we can do. I invite you to turn to Ecclesiastes 3 in your bulletins or Bibles, and let's pray together. Almighty God, to you all hearts are indeed open, and uh, we also need our minds to be open to the revelation you've given us, the words you've spoken to us. We pray that we wouldn't just hear and see and even understand the words, but that we would see you as you want us to uh, see you, and that we would experience your care for us in this life, which has so many changes and so many chances and so much that we can't control. We pray, Lord, that the book of Ecclesiastes would give us a a wisdom that we need that would go to the deep places of our mind and heart, and we pray uh, that it would uh, be part of the way that we trust you. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Well, one of the key tasks for any parent is to help their uh, child's expectations align with reality. Uh, Sometimes a parent will invite the child to sit down at the kitchen table and start off the conversation, you know what, John, you know what, Heather, Uh, I love you, you're an amazing young woman, you're an amazing young man, I believe in you, and there's there's a lot that you have ahead of you, I wish that everything would make sense for you in your life, Um, but that's not what's going to happen. In your life, you're going to experience realities that are not fair. In your life, you're going to experience heartbreak and betrayal. And it's not a matter of if, it's a matter of when. So when your heart gets broken, when you're treated unfairly, uh, uh, when you're betrayed, here's how to respond. Um. The parent is trying to teach their child how the world works. Not how they wish the world would work, but how the world actually works. How money works. How romance works. How justice works. How friendships work. And in recent years, I've realized as a parent, I need to teach my children how social media works. Like what what you can do that can impact your life as an adult. Um, Stuff I didn't have to deal with, but they will have to deal with. I want them to know how the world works. Um, Every parent uh, has to understand both their child and the wider world in which uh, their child is growing up in and the conditions they will face. My older sister, Michelle, has uh, seven kids. Her and her husband have seven kids, and so they've had to have a a lot of these kitchen table conversations. Two of her uh, sons are adopted, and they're adopted from Liberia. They were adopted from an orphanage there. And so my sister has had to learn that if you're raising uh, brown-skinned children in America, you have to have other kinds of conversations you don't have to have with your Caucasian-skinned children, that you actually have to prepare them, not if, but when you experience racism, here's how you respond. When you experience run-ins with the police, even though of no fault of your own, here's how to respond. You're not going to be able to control these situations. You're going to have these situations whether you like it or not. Here's how to respond. Now, hopefully, 
when the child experiences the situation that they've been forewarned about by their mom and dad, the lying, or the bullying, or the heartbreak, or the injustice, they'll remember their parents' instruction. It will come to them, and then they'll be able to respond appropriately, and they'll know, more importantly, that they're not alone in this situation, that they're not left to themselves. And hopefully that experience will drive them back into the arms of their parents, um, where they can repair and, and process and glean all the wisdom they can from that situation they went through. Now, in Ecclesiastes 3, uh, the preacher is going to invite us to sit down at the kitchen table with him. And he is going to say, you know, Greg, Susan, you know, Joel, here's how life works. Here's the situations that, is, that are going to come your way, whether you plan for it or not. Here's the beautiful and wild world you've been born into. These are events that happen to us, passages that we have to walk through, seasons of life that cannot be avoided. And he's not trying to, to get us down. He's not trying to depress us. He's trying to prepare us. This is God's way of preparing us. And he also wants us to go into the arms of God. He wants us to return to the wisdom and the presence of our Father so that we're not going through these seasons alone, uh, so that we're not facing these seasons with any hopelessness, but that we're facing these seasons with a sense of God's control, God's sovereignty, God's help. So first, the preacher is going to prepare us for our beginnings and our endings, our beginnings and our endings. Look at verse 1 and 2 with me of Ecclesiastes 3. For everything, there is a season and a time for every matter under heaven, a time to be born and a time to die. You know, there's the beginning of our life. There's our birth. We had no control over the circumstances of our birth, when it would happen. The parents or caregivers that we had at the time or still have, the family that we were born into with its history, uh, our economic status, our, our time in history, even the bodies that we have, all of that was out of our control. All of that was simply given to us. And then there's the end of our life. There's a time to die. We don't know when we'll die. Um, we don't know the impact that our death will have on the world around us. Um, we have more agency over our death than over our birth, yet still so much about our death is out of our control. And in between our birth and our death, there are all of the other beginnings and endings uh, within our life. Look with me at the second half of verse 2. There's some metaphorical births and deaths that we'll all experience in this life. There's a time to plant and a time to pluck up what is planted, a time to kill and a time to heal, a time to break down and a time to build up, a time to weep and a time to laugh, a time to mourn and a time to dance. What's the preacher doing here with all of these word pictures? Well, he's, he's kind of painting a canvas of all of the highs and lows of life, and there are so many of them. There are joyful beginnings and mournful endings that we will experience. 
He's sitting down with us at the kitchen table and being like, look, you're going to have high highs, you're going to have low lows, you're going to have mourning, and you're going to have dancing. And the, you know, these seasons come to us, sometimes it feels like totally unbidden, uh, where we just can't even control how and when. When are we going to mourn? When are we going to dance? And what frequency will we be mourning? What frequency will we be dancing? Six years ago, our family experienced so much new life that we could barely keep up. And so much of it was out of our control. Um, so this was January of 2013. Very similar weather. Um, Laura was nine months pregnant with our youngest child, Mona. And I was uh, to officiate the first wedding of what would become our church plant community, our, our, our launch team. And that was the wedding of Aaron and Nicole Sanga. You might know them. Um, we weren't sure if, if Laura was going to go into labor during the ceremony. And so we're like, do we get a backup priest? And I'm making calls to other priests to be like, could you officiate the wedding if, if Laura goes into labor? Um, we couldn't find one, so I just like, went ahead and officiated the ceremony. And, um, you know, uh, we went to the reception. We, we danced Together, we ate spicy Indian food, um, and, and for, about 40 hours later, Mona came into the world, uh, and uh, she was born in the, in the early morning hours of, of a Tuesday. Now, just five days after Mona was born, uh, we had our first ever launch team gathering, get this, on January 27th, 2013. That was exactly six years ago. Uh, we called it Come and See. And we did evening prayer together. We ordered lasagna. And we shared the vision of what would become Emmanuel Anglican Church. The Sanghas got back from their honeymoon just in time to slip in uh, and listen to it. So within a span of eight days, there was a wedding, there was a baby, and there was a church plant. Uh, you know, there's a time to, to be born. There's a time to laugh. There's a time to dance. There's a time to build up. There is sometimes there's so much new life bursting forth that we have no control over, that they're just gifts, gift after gift after gift. Now, some of you have experienced the other side of this, the other side of this, which is that sometimes there's a time to uproot Sometimes there's a time to mourn. Sometimes there's a time to weep. And you've experienced that sometimes losses can pile up. Loss after loss after loss can pile up, and it feels like completely out of your control. I just was corresponding this week with a dear friend of mine who's like headed to yet another surgery, and, and her spouse is going through something very significant medically, and they just experienced so much of this hardship in their life this year, and they didn't ask for it. Some of you maybe have experienced a loss of a dear friend or a loss of a dear family member, and like on the other end of that, life is never the same. Or maybe you've experienced the ending of an era where something that you planted was, was like plucked up from the roots, or it was torn down. You have to leave behind you a job or a relationship or a city 
or a church or something that you really invested your heart in and you had to leave it behind. And then sometimes our work gets demolished. That like we, We're like, we spent all this time building something up and yet of its own accord, something happens and it just gets torn down and our life's work falls behind. We can't control how this happens and when it happens. Um, we're not immune from it. And that's what the teacher wants us to know that, hey, look, In your life, dear child, you will experience joyful beginnings and you will experience mournful endings, and I want you to know in advance. Secondly, the preacher is going to prepare us not just for our beginnings and endings, he's going to prepare us for our gains and our losses. Our gains and our losses. Verse 5, the preacher tells us that there's a time to cast away stones and a time to gather stones together. And remember studying this chapter a few months ago and being like, what in the world is this stone management? Um, And as I've studied it, I've realized that um, I think the best way to make sense of this um, is uh, from the perspective of gains, from the perspective of like, we accumulate treasures in our life. And um, in the ancient world, common currency was valuable stones, stones that you would want to gather, stones that you would want to keep um, and, and invest. Um, sometimes life is like a treasure hunt where you just reap some great things. You reap some opportunities and or maybe a valued mentor or maybe an expansion of your business. You're like, ooh, I, I got this job here. I, I got a promotion over here. I got, and it's just like sometimes life affords us really wonderful gains. And the gains sometimes can be totally unpredictable and can happen to you in a way that's completely unplanned. Like, how did this door open? I would have never guessed I would have had this connection and then this connection and then, and then wow, here I am uh, leading this venture or, or here I am uh, stewarding this resource. Losses can be like that too. Losses can be completely unpredictable. Sooner or later, the stone pile, if you imagine your life and all of the privileges and resources that you accumulate, or even the, the book collection that you accumulate, like when will that all have to be dispersed? So much of that is <clears throat> out of our control. There's a time, the preacher says, to cast away stones. He goes on in verse 6, there's a time to seek and a time to lose, a time to keep and a time to Cast away what you've kept. Sometimes uh, we cast it away with a sense of purpose. Sometimes it's just taken from us. Either way, we don't ultimately have control over our gains or our losses. We certainly have agency, but we do not have control. We can't control our beginnings or our endings either. Um, These Realities, we're going to experience them, we're going to interact with them, but we're not going to have mastery over them. Uh, So finally, the preacher is going to prepare us for the reality that we are going to experience not just beginnings and endings and not just gains and losses, we are going to experience other people, all right? We're going to experience other people, and you know what? We don't really have control over other people, and we certainly have agency and influence, and how we interact with other people, but you just can't control people, and there's so much freedom in realizing that. Think, think about 
our relationships, the ones that matter most to us. And then let's read these words from the preacher in verse 7 and 8. There's a time to tear and a time to sow, a time to keep silence and a time to speak. It's a time to love and a time to hate, a time for war and a time for peace. Now, I don't wish war or even awkward silences on anyone here, and neither does the preacher. What's the preacher doing? He's helping us understand that our interactions with people are going to include all kinds of beautiful things and hard things, and that we can't control those things. We can't control other people. You know what? We can't control people's emotions. We can't control their choices. We can't control their impressions of us, what they think of us. We can't even control people we have incredible influence with, even our own family members, our our parents, our children, our siblings, our spouses. We can't control what other people decide or what they love. Think about your own self. I mean, it's hard even to master your own emotions, your own feelings. Those things are, are difficult and unwieldy. But man, someone else's emotions, someone else's thoughts, even less than under our control. Um, There's a time, though, for love and peace. Uh, We can receive these seasons and times with thanksgiving and rejoice. When, When a new friend comes along, when there's a wedding to celebrate, uh, when there's a, a, a beautiful moment in our city group, we're like, man, I'm going to treasure that forever. It's like, let's celebrate that. Let's appreciate that. Let's communicate with our words and actions how much we appreciate one another. We won't always have that chance, but let's take that chance now to just communicate to each other how much we love and appreciate one another. There, there comes a time to mend relationships. There comes a time to overcome differences and to seek resolution on the other end of conflict and forgive and bond and partner up and build bridges But you know what? Sometimes there comes a time for silence. There comes a time, really, where it's like best to not speak. That would would not be wise. When when relationships, sometimes relationships will be closed off to us, and the resolution that we want will not be available to us. Where it would almost be inappropriate to re-engage with someone that we would really like to reconcile with. Sadly, there comes a time in our world for, for war and hate and division. And preacher's not prescribing things, these things. He's not saying, go out and wage war. He's warning us, this is a part of the world that you live in. And we can certainly uh, do everything we can to stop it, but we can't control it. These realities arise, where do they come from? They arise from the human heart which can be a temple for either good or evil. And as uh, one thinker said, it's, it's usually both. We can have both wisdom and foolishness residing in the same human structure of what we love and what we think. And we can't control when and how there's going to be war or there's going to be silence. 
We have agency in how we respond, but we have not been given control. And this can be tough. But it's nice to know it, isn't it? It's kind of nice to know in advance this stuff's coming. Um, People have freedom. People have agency. But they're not forever under our spell. They're not forever under our control. People will surprise you in good ways and bad. So the preacher's telling us about all these things we can't control, beginnings and endings, gains and losses, other people, huge realities. Um, And then he asks this question. Good question for all of us to ask ourselves. Verse 9, he asks, What gain has the worker from his toil? And then his, his insight is, I've seen the busyness that God has given to the children of man to be busy with. What's he saying? He, he's saying, what good will it do you to try to control your life? What good will it do to try to force reality to match your expectations of life? You're just going to be giving yourself busy work. Um, you're just going to be like, putting your shoulder up against a boulder and being like, come on, boulder, move. Like, you're just going to tire yourself out. Don't do that. Um, and all of us have ways, really, of, of putting our shoulder against that boulder and trying to get it to move. We've got ways of, we've got ways of trying to control people or, 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 or plan. Sometimes we have ways of over-functioning in our work or in our relationships to, to keep it in control. But that's just going to make us tired. It's not going to give us the control that we want. Um, it'll just wear us out. The quest for control really does take the joy out of life. It, it, it takes the ability that we have to savor all the gifts that we did not receive from our earning. We didn't earn it. We can't control it. Um, here's the problem. When, when things go well and we think we're in control, we'll, we'll congratulate ourselves, and then we'll keep trying to control things. When things don't go well, we'll be filled with blame and regret, and we'll just spend our life regretting all the things that we didn't do right. And all of us would have things in our life where we'd be like, man, if I could press a button and go back and undo that conversation, if I could press a button and go back and undo that moment, If I could press a button and make that situation work out better, man, I would press that button. But the problem is that we've not been given that power. And so we can spend all of our life trying to control situations and getting tired or regretting situations that we didn't control and just just having sadness over things that we can't change. And then we'll be filled with anxiety about the future, like, what's going to happen in the future? And how am I going to manage that situation? And here's the preacher's like, hey, sit down at the kitchen table with me and let me tell you how life works because there's so much that you can't change and there's so much that you can't control. But here's what you can do. You can trust the Father's wisdom. You can trust. You have a sovereign Father and He has control even though you don't totally understand it, and you can trust him, and you can invite him into all of the circumstances of your life, whether gains or losses. He says in verse 11, uh, he, God, 
has made everything beautiful in its time. And the, the, the word beautiful here has a sense of like fitting. Everything, there's a, there's, a, there's a sense of fittingness and rightness to the way God works all things together. The preacher continues, also he has put eternity into man's heart, yet so that he cannot find out what God has done from beginning to end. So the preacher's saying, look, you have a father and he's in control. He has a way of fitting everything together, and he's placed inside each one of us eternity, um, a sense that life is heading somewhere, that life has meaning, that there's a past and that there's a future, and he's placed in us a desire to know how it all works together. We have a desire for God to make good on all of the good promises that he makes to us to make things right and to fill heaven and earth with his goodness. And he will do that. He will do that. Even though we don't know how he's going to do that. We can't see the whole picture right now. We can see a taste of the picture right now. There's a beautiful hint of grace at the end of this passage. The preacher says in verse 15 that God seeks what has been driven away. God seeks what has been driven away. He's like a shepherd. God is. Um, he's going after lost animals uh, that have been kind of cornered by predators uh, or wild animals and, and like driven from the flock. God, who is above time, can enter time and catch everything that we lose. In other words, God is among us and he's catching all of the lost bits of life that we can't control and our beginnings and our endings and our gains and our losses and our relationships with other people, God is there pursuing and tracking down what has been left behind. And he makes it right from beginning to end. He makes it all fit together in ways that we could have never foreseen. Jesus says in the book of Revelation, Behold, I am making all things new. Um, and he identifies himself as the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, who was and is and is to come, the Almighty. So Jesus is in time, but he's above time. He's the Lord over time. He holds time in his hands. And he also says, I hold the keys of death and Hades in his hands. That, that actually he's Lord over death. He's Lord over our death. And he will make it all right. One of my favorite things about Jesus is something that uh, John talks about his experience of Jesus in, in chapter 1 of Revelation. He says that after calling himself the Alpha and Omega, Jesus puts his hand on John's shoulder. And it's just like such a fatherly thing to do that Jesus, who's riding on the clouds of glory, declaring himself Lord over heaven and earth and over the past, present, and future, when John is afraid, Jesus puts his hand on his shoulder and says, fear not. And that's what a good, loving parent will do. Don't be afraid. I've got this. I've got this. You're not alone. Uh, see, Jesus Christ can help us make peace with our past, which we cannot change. And Jesus Christ can give us an easy yoke for our present, which we cannot control. And Jesus Christ can give us assurance for our future, which is firmly in his loving hands. Jesus Christ has given us grace for every season of life. 
He gives grace for every matter under heaven. He gives grace for our birth, grace for our death, grace for our weeping, grace uh, for our laughing. There's grace for our, our mourning and our dancing and grace even for collecting of stones and the casting away of those stones and grace for our, our tearing, grace for the sowing, grace for silence and speaking. You know what? There's grace even in war and grace in our peace. There's grace in seeking what has been cast away. Grace can hold all things together and make all things well. I'm reminded of how Psalm 23 ends. Psalm 23 ends um, with, with this promise, Surely goodness and mercy will, will follow me all the days of my life. Surely goodness and mercy will seek me, track me down, make sure that I'm, make sure that I'm not lost somewhere, away from the flock. Surely grace and mercy will find me and pick up every lost bit of my life that I couldn't control or I couldn't earn. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. I'll be with the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit forever. It's such a relief. You think about all the things that are left behind. Jesus Christ won't leave them behind. He won't leave us behind. What becomes possible for us when this starts to sink in? I think by grace, we can exchange the quest for control uh, for the calling of influence. This is by grace. We can exchange, we can leave behind control, having to control outcomes of situations, and we can take up the mantle and the calling of influence. Verse 12 says this, I, I perceive that there is nothing better for them, for mankind, womankind, people, than to be joyful and to do good as long as they live. There's just nothing better for us than to be joyful and to do good as long as we live. And verse 13, also that everyone should eat and drink and take pleasure in all his or her toil. This is God's gift to man. This is God's gift to woman. Um, God invites us to a life of joy where we are free to do good as long as we live. And we have a lot of freedom in how we live that calling out. We're free to enjoy what God's given us, our, our community, our daily provision of food and drink and housing and heat, uh, our satisfaction from a job well done. There's something so good about these gifts. If we have to control the outcome of our work and of our life, listen, that joy, that savoring of the moment becomes impossible because our mind is running off to the next situation that's out of our control. We'll just never be free from the task of managing life and controlling people and forgiving ourselves. We'll be full of striving and regret. But if we can exchange control for influence, um, we'll see that there's so much good work to do, and it's joyful. I was just thinking this morning of just some of the quirky ways that there's been, I've been able to exercise influence, and it really wasn't virtuous at all. Um, I had a, a friend seven years ago whose name was Alex. We were roommates in New York uh, for church planting training. So we lived together for five weeks, and uh, he was getting ready to plant in East Berlin, where 60% of the people are atheistic. And um, 
and I was getting ready to plant in Chicago, and um, toward the end of his training, Alex showed me the itinerary of all the cities he was going to to raise money, and I saw he was going to Tennessee, that that was one of his stops, and I'm like, hmm, who do I know in Tennessee that could give him like a, kind of show him the, like the rougher edges of America or something, I don't know, it was kind of a, I wanted him to, to, to have like a culture shock experience of this East Berlin guy, like experiencing um, America. And, uh, and so I was like, who do I know? Surely I know some people there. And I could only think of one person that I used to go to church with and in D.C. And uh, she had recently moved back to uh, Chattanooga. And so I was like, well, I don't know anybody except for her. And so maybe, maybe they can, maybe she can show them around America and... Um, so they met for lunch, and uh, lunch turned into dinner, and then a year later, they were married. <laughs> so she moved over to East Berlin, planted the church with them. Their first baby is due in April, and I expect that they will name that baby after <laughs> Father Aaron. Listen, all I had was some cheeky idea of giving my friend a cultural experience. Well, here's what the Lord was doing. He was, he was using that kind of silly thing to introduce Alex to his wife. And, and that's what God does. He takes little things that we do. He comes behind them, and he causes it all to fit together. And most of the time, we can't see all of the things that he's doing. But he's given us so much freedom and so much influence and if we can lay aside the need to control, he'll do beautiful and good things with our life. We can do good in our days under the sun. And we can just trust that the Lord will come behind all of those things and by grace cause it to work together for his good. Um, his grace is everywhere. As one poet said, uh, Christ plays in 10,000 places. He is all over your life if you want him to be. If you are in Jesus and you say, Jesus, I want you to, to come behind my life and pick up all the lost bits and turn regrets into rejoicing, he'll do it. God has given us so much freedom and influence. We can't control our beginnings or our endings, um, but our response to those beginnings and endings influences everyone around us. We can't control our gains or our losses, but we can devote them all to the glory of God. And that's going to have lasting influence on everyone around us in heaven and earth. We can't control people, even those closest to us, but oh my goodness, the influence that we have on other people is tremendous. Every word, whether we cut down or build up, every action, whether of kindness or contempt, we need grace to steward this influence well. Uh, maybe there's a situation that's come up in your mind during this teaching that you realized you can't control the outcome of it. Let's just take a moment now to close our eyes and entrust that situation to the Father. Just put it in his hands. Maybe there's a, a boulder we've been trying to put our shoulder against. Maybe you just experience the hand of Jesus coming on your shoulder and taking control of the boulder on your account.
Lord, we trust you with these situations. In the name of Jesus, amen. Uh, it may be that the Father would have us go back and face that situation that we've been trying to control, but this time doing it with his influence and his grace flowing through us. Um, so with his fatherly presence, let us eat, let us drink, let us do good and take joy in all our toil, knowing that our Father will be with us in our beginnings and our endings, our gains and our losses, through the power of Jesus and the Spirit, in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Let us receive that gift. Amen.